This is Ruth Friedman, and I serve as the Maharat at Ohev Shalom, the National Synagogue in Washington, D.C. And welcome back to my weekly Parsha podcast, Life Imitates Torah. And so this week we read Parsha Bamidbar, which of course marks the beginning of our reading of the entire book of Bamidbar. And so rather than talk about a specific part of our Parsha this week, I wanted to talk about what the book represents as a whole and what it's about. Because in some ways I actually think it's, it's, I think it's, I mean, every book of the Torah is important, but I actually think that really for understanding who we are as a people, this book is critical and perhaps the most important to think about through that lens. So we're going to call the in Hebrew, the book is called Bamidbar, right? In the desert, in the wilderness. And in English, the title is Numbers. So we're going to review the structure and the content and then the title, and then think about where it leaves us as a whole. So some people have pointed out that the book of Bamidbar, it really contains three sub books, three subsections. Now, the first is really the content of this week's Parsha and next week's Parsha, which is the organizing of the camp. So just to refresh our minds, obviously we have Brashit, and then we have um, Exodus, we have Shemot, where the people, there's the Exodus from Egypt, and then the entrance into the Midbar, right into the desert, God doesn't want them to march straight on to Israel because God is worried we're going to see war and fear war. Of course, the first thing we do is an act of war at the sea, but never mind that. And so now we're in the desert. And then there are the narratives that come along with that. We then have Vayikra, which isn't really centered to a place so much. There's no traveling going on. It's just the introduction of all the laws and the construction of, of the Mishkan and, and, well, the inauguration of the Mishkan and the sacrifices, etc. And so that leaves us now where we find ourselves this week. They're organizing the camp. Now, if you're going to be organizing the camp and getting everything ready, it's probably because you're getting ready to enter the land of Israel, which is what they're actually doing. And then that's the, so that's the first 10 chapters. Then we move to chapters 11 through 19. Those are the narratives of that same first generation that has left Egypt. Only like a year, a year and a half have elapsed in this entire time. It hasn't been that long. So we still have this original generation. But unfortunately, we see those stories as they develop turn into total disaster. There's a complaint about water and that moves into Parshat Shlach the Parsha of the sending of the Meraglim of the scouts to the land of Israel, the return, the, the, the way that the people get really upset when they hear what they're walking, they're about to walk into, what they're about to march into. And then the punishments that, nope, they now have to wait for those generations to die, which just buys us 38 years in the desert. And then we immediately, sometime in chapter 20, immediately switch into 38 years later. Suddenly, we're now talking about the next generation, and they're getting ready to make that final march into the land of Israel. And so that's why Bamidbar is actually fascinating in that respect, because it gives us kind of the highlight, the, the highlights of the worst parts of the first generation, then also some of the struggles of the second generation, especially as they begin that process of conquering the land. And even though we think about Bamidbar and the experience in the desert as being this wandering for 40 years, we actually don't know anything that happens in that intervening time. Between 19 and 20 of chapters of Bamidbar, we skip over 38 years 
It's just this immediate switch, which is very interesting then to think about the relationship of the content or perhaps lack thereof of the time in the Midbar and the fact that the book is actually called by Midbar. So hold that in mind. As far as the literary content goes within these three chapters, it's broken up between law and narrative. I won't read the entire verse by verse structure because that's not helpful when you're listening to something. But basically we have a number of verses about law. Then we go into some chapters about narrative and then we have some law and then narrative and law and law and narrative and so on and so on and so forth. And that takes us through the entire book. And so it's actually pretty well balanced in that respect as opposed to Vayikra, which only has two narratives and the rest is law. So what does that mean that this book really represents? What is it about? Well, now we get to that conversation about the title of the book. So as we know, the Hebrew is Bamidbar. The English is Numbers. In Latin, the name of the book is Numeri. You know, obviously it comes from that same word of numbers. Um, the Greek for the Septuagint is arithmoi, so like arithmetic, pardon my pronunciation as I don't know any of these languages, and then of course English numbers. So it's clear that the way that this book was often understood is related to numbers. Why numbers? Because as we will see when we get to Shul on Shabbos and open this week's Parsha, it's all about numbers. Getting the camp organized to go conquer the land, which is originally what was going to happen, means you have to count people, right? You got, it's just a tedious job of conducting censuses. And therefore, it's obviously called numbers because that's really what this book is about. And often, of course, we name books or partiote after what happens in the beginning and not through the duration. But then let's return to that Hebrew title of the book, Ba Midbar. Dr. Erica Brown has some great insight into exactly what the meaning of Midbar is in the preface to her book, um, Leadership in the Wilderness, Authority and Anarchy in the Book of Numbers, which is her book about leadership in the Book of Bamidbar and the various lessons of Bamidbar that we can take from this. And what she points out is that the word Midbar, we often think of it as the desert. They wandered in the desert, but actually it has this kind of... Uh, confusing etymology, where, as she says succinctly, the word midbar is full of contradictions. It's used to refer to desert and to signify dry places that are very little rainfall, but also in other, time, in other places, midbar is used to identify grazing spaces. For example, we spoke a few weeks ago about the Sir Lazazel, right? the goat to Azazel that is sent into the midbar. Right into the, it's not really necessarily desert. It's going off into a place of wilderness to graze, and so therefore, I think that's why we translate it more as wilderness. It's the it's defined by the lack of order. She also notes that the word midbar comes from the word davar, which means a word or a thing, which is also kind of interesting because the midbar, as she points out, is sort of the absence of a word or a thing. It's nothingness. It's chaos. It's liminality. They're not, it's not called, the book therefore isn't called Bamidbar because they're literally in the desert. It's because that's, it represents the kind of a space they're in as a people. That they're between two spaces. They're not in Egypt and they're also not yet in Canaan. 
which fascinatingly is how God frames some of the laws in Vayikra, especially things about like the Arayot, the illicit relationships by saying, don't do like what they did in Egypt where you were, and don't be like the land of Canaan where you're going. That that type of conditioning and, and becoming your own people can only happen in those liminal spaces. And perhaps some people have even gone as far as to suggest that, for example, the incident of the spies, which is said to the punishment is that they had to die in the desert, wasn't really so much a punishment, rather as a recognition that the Israelites needed that space of liminality, that space of nothingness, in order to process out that experience of Egypt, the trauma of Egypt, and find themselves before they could enter the land of Israel when they needed to already be a, a contained nation, a divine, a defined nation. You couldn't conquer if you're still a mess, right? You can't, you have to already know who you are and be ready to set up shop and really get things going. So that I think is the beauty of calling Sefer Bamidbar by the Hebrew name of Bamidbar, because it doesn't just represent the beginning of the book. It really represents the content of the book, the purpose of the book, is to have given the Israelites that space in between Egypt and in between Israel. And to draw attention to the fact that even though the book isn't going to tell us what happens in those intervening 38 years, what's important is that they did happen, is that they gave the people space to figure themselves out, to be not where they were and not yet where they were going, and to really find themselves in that space that is neither here nor there. And this is a message that I think is particularly significant for us now. I feel like I've been already for a year giving Divrei Torah on when the end of COVID is coming, what COVID will mean to us, because no, no, none of us have known at any point when COVID is actually going to end, right? When we're going to return to normal, as we've been saying. So forgive me if some of you may have heard this idea repeated before, but I really do think it's very, very important for us to think about and speaks to our own experiences. COVID has been for us the time that is neither here nor there. We are all in our own midbar. And we've been in our own midbar already for over a year. When last March of 2020, that marked, so, so to speak, mapping it onto the Israelites' experience, that was our exodus. That is when we left our former lives and everything we had known and entered into a liminal space, a space where you're still working, you're still trying to maintain relationships, you're still trying to pretend that life is normal, but of course life is anything but normal. And people during this time, this liminal space, this own midbar of our lives, have really, I think, grown into new people. They found themselves. They've begun major changes in their lives, self-examination, you know, realizing that you don't like your job, so you quit, realizing you don't like where you live, so you move, realizing that you just want different things for your life. And that this has been not just a pause on our lives, and there's no normal we're returning to but that really there's been a tremendous value to this time that we've all each had between our past lives and before we can reemerge into society and build our new lives that we've had this liminal space. And I think that this is significant both because it speaks to the fact that during that time, we're all going to inevitably grow. You don't spend time in the midbar, in the not here nor there if you aren't going to transform somehow. 
Because the entire point of that space is that it is transformative, or else we wouldn't have had to be there. We could have shaved off 38 years and just gone straight into the land of Israel. And also to recognize that it's a painful space to be. It's a difficult space to be. It's an uncomfortable space to be. So inevitably, we're all going to be sitting with those feelings of, what, who am I? Where am I going? What do I want to be different? But that these shouldn't be sources of discomfort or anxiety or make us feel like we just want to cancel those feelings out. They're actually critical for our personal development. And so as we witness all the pain in the world and the suffering, we felt our own pain over this year, and some of us have lost beloved people in our lives, and I, I, I've never, ever, ever want to minimize that. This also has afforded us an opportunity, in a sense, to engage in that process of self-reflection, to sit in that in-between space and use it as something to propel ourselves forward and to really rethink our lives. And so, I, you know, I, I hope that we aren't so caught up in the day-to-day -day details and just, you know, waiting to get back to normal, to life as it is, waiting to go back to the office, waiting to go back to this, go back to that, and view this time kind of as a nuisance, as something that's been uniformly terrible, but really also to, to think of it as the possibilities that it's afforded us and an experience that we may not ever get again in our lives. So I hope that we can all remember to lean into the discover, to lean into the liminality and use it as an opportunity for growth and reflection as well, just like the Israelites use their own midbar as an opportunity for that same process. Shabbat Shalom.